Welcome to Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all over a nice cold beer. Uh, lately, we've been going through uh, the large catechism, taking a leisurely stroll through. Uh, we spent quite a few episodes on the on the preface, and now we're we're diving into the the got through the first the 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 first commandment. That was amazing. We got it through it in one episode. Let's see if we can knock out the second and and maybe maybe take on the third today. It's good discussion of theology over uh, of how we find God's grace is on tap. We also have a good beer on tap. Uh, today's beer is uh, Breakfast Stout by by Founders. I th- we I know we've had Founders in the past. I know we've had Founders in the past. So Luther starts out uh, by pointing out that the first commandment uh, addresses the nature of the heart. And so the second commandment covers the m- next most important thing, which is the mouth and the tongue. And, and it's funny when when I think about the, the importance of of speech, um, I I never when I was young, I thought that speech really didn't matter that much. You know that that what really mattered was what you did. It's not what you said. And it's funny as I've gotten older, uh, I've I've come to see that actually words do direct. They they give context to the world around us, and it guides our our actions. Words actually do guide us. Uh, you know the the truth of the truth of the Bible, right? That the that the the tongue is like uh, like the rudder on a mighty ship. And where it where it turns, you know, is where where you go. And I, it took me a long time to get my head around that. But I, I'm falling in line as I get older. I'm falling in line with the biblical view of that. Luther describes how the first objects that spring from the heart and manifest themselves into this world are words. And so we think about how the words we use about God and how we use the language of God to to justify our own actions are largely what Luther is going to be talking about in this explanation to the second commandment. His concern with about God's name is, is really not focused at all on foul language. Uh, that language that would make a movie maybe rated R instead of PG, that's not his concern at all. Um, there is nothing in this explanation to the second commandment that would prevent someone from using uh, those seven dirty words that George Carlin joked about. Instead, it's yeah. all about those words that use uh, the name of God and the purpose of God and how we can co-opt and, and self-justify our actions by by covering it and veiling it with the name of God and think, no matter what I do, as long as I describe it godly, then it must be good. And he's going to really zero in on that deception that we bring to the self-justification of our works by trying to to label it as godly when it may not be at all. So Luther, quoting Luther here, it says, uh, it is misusing God's name when we call upon the Lord God, no matter in what way, for purposes of falsehood or wrong of any kind. Therefore, this commandment enjoins this much, that God's name must not be appealed to falsely or taken upon the lips while the heart knows well enough or should know differently. Uh, As among those who take oaths at court where one side lies against the other, 
for God's name cannot be misused than worse than for the support of falsehood or deceit. And and you know it's funny when 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 Luther talks about this I, a little bit later on he talks about uh, this is especially prevalent in marriage affairs where two go and secretly betroth themselves to one another and afterward abjure their plighted troth. Uh, troth. Uh, and, and I'm 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 sort of you know I I don't know. You know what he's talking about there. Maybe I was hoping maybe Evan, you could you could give a little bit of of context because I it, it's there's there's two things that are going on there. The first one is is oaths used in court or you know, when we call upon God. You know I I'm telling the truth. You know so help me God that type of thing. Um, those those oaths that that are there. And then he he specifically talks about this thing with marriage. That I'm a little unclear on what he's getting to. And, In 1530, uh, he's going to write a treatise on marriage matters related to this topic. But he's going to be addressing, uh, I think, the way that we will kind of convince someone that you can trust me. I love you. Um, let's be intimate together because, of course, we're going to marry together. Um, let's consider ourselves married, though no one else knows about it. You and I know we are betrothed to each other. And so it becomes this way to um, justify our intimacy. But then later on, when arrangements may be made or some better negotiation happens for some other arranged marriage, we set aside that one to whom we secretly uh, spoke intimate words to, and uh, and then move to the one that's a better arrangement for property or family or lineage. And so his concern is for those who are trying to put the veil of legitimacy on their lust by telling the person, uh, trust me, uh, we are going to get married. So let's just be intimate now. Mm, OK, OK. So and, and I would guess that in. And Luther's time, just the you know, based on what I'm reading here from Luther's writing, it sounds like, you know, in today's day and age, oh, I love you would be about all you need to say, <laughs> you know. The, but and that you know, maybe in Luther's day, you'd have to say, I I make an oath to God that I love you, type thing, and then to where a guy would say that kind of thing, and and to get things going. Um, so he, he says that Luther says that this is these are both terrible uh, misuses of God's word. And, and it's funny, you know, when, when I read through the second commandment um, and I, I keep referencing when I read through this early in, in my Christian journey um, and what what I took away from it that first time or those early readings I had of, of the large catechism. I remember so clearly reading through this and and not picking up that there was a whole lot more. I, I, I was tempted to look at this like, oh, OK, you know, he's talking about specifically oaths. You know, I don't make any oaths. I don't have to worry about that. And, you know, so, you know, move on. What's what's the third commandment? And so there was like this, you know, I, I, I think the, you know, probably guilty of skimming through it a little bit, you know, skipping ahead reading it and not really digesting what was being said. Um, and and so it's like, okay, got it, move on to the next one. Got it, move on to the next one. Got it, move on to the next one. And I'm, and as I've read, like I mentioned before, I write, read through the large catechism pretty often now, 
And it seems like I'm always finding more, probably because I wasn't paying as much attention as I should have the first time. (laughs) Well, I think the most transparent part of the second commandment is oaths and using God's name to swear validity on something we're saying that you can believe me, I swear to God. Um, And that's a part of it. And then the second thing that he is concerned about is false teaching, that one will cloak their teaching in holy words and so try to make it sound sacred, whether it be true or not. And for Luther, he has uh, an incredible interest in making sure that when someone preaches God's word, they do so according to the truth of God's word and not some sort of manufactured um, word that this person is just kind of made up on the spot. And I think that's something he's pushing against in in his society is how people will create this word of God that then someone will say, I'm sure it's written down somewhere, you know, like godliness is uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. And you're like, oh, I'm sure that's written down somewhere. No, it's not. I, I remember reading in Graham Greene uh, about, you know, in visiting some German couple and how they kept everything clean. And that was what their presumption of being uh, a sacred people was, is that they were clean. And and Graham Greene writes about kind of this contrast between these people who have kept their house really clean, but around them is poverty. And, and he's, you know, aggravated that they have elevated their cleanliness to the status of God's word and neglected the care of their neighbor. I was sort of surprised going through this. Um, I'm, I'm used to reading Luther and having him just rail against the Catholic Church. And maybe I missed it, I guess, I'm, I'm, but I, in my notes I didn't capture, where he, he, he uses this as a launch. I, I expected him to use this as a launching point, and I don't think he did, this particular false teaching section. You know, in paragraph 54, he says, The greatest abuse occurs in spiritual matters which pertain to the conscience when false preachers rise up and offer their lying vanities as God's word. I think that's a a word that's directed not as much to the Catholic Church, but to the enthusiasts and the traveling preachers that are starting to develop during this time period of the Reformation, of people who will go to town to town and say they have this word of God that has come about them. He'll call these false preachers the swarmeri, uh, the buzzing bees that, that move around and think that they have just uh, some great word to share with people, but all it is is the vanity of their own heart. And this was right after the uh, this this was written shortly after, I guess I should say, within a couple of few years after the uh, the peasants' war, you know, and the peasants' revolt, which was at the a big part of that was that kind of preaching. And so this is obviously still. I, I agree. When I read through that, I thought he was more targeting uh, people like Thomas Munzer. Uh, rather than uh, rather than the Catholic Church, it seems like they're more in his in his view than than the Catholic Church for this particular section. Um, the, uh, uh, the 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 next one is where he talks the third category that he has. So the first category was oaths. The second category he had that he discussed was was uh, was false teachers, and then the third category he had was blasphemers and cursing. Um, and, and it's interesting what he says about people who blaspheme the name of God. He says, uh, and, and parenthetically, I think, he says, these are not, he talks about uh, 
Uh, they're not very well known to everyone who disgrace God's name without fear. And then parenthetically, he says, these are not for us, but for the hangman to discipline. And I, I guess I, I, it sounds like, you know, the, you could be you know, capital punishment if you blaspheme the name of God back in the day. That's that's uh, I know. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Um, But he is concerned about those that would use God's name as a way to curse someone. And again, when he says blasphemers and cursing, his cursing is not someone who uses uh, the F word. That's not what he describes as cursing. He's describing when someone uses God's name to bring a vindictive punishment against somebody else as a sort of... uh, uh, work of the devil to bring punishment upon someone almost yeah but then he says of this there's no more need to speak further you know if you're talking to kids you don't want to essentially show them a bunch of dirty pictures and then say (laughs) don't do this He, he doesn't give a lot of great explanation of what these bad things are as much as we don't need to talk more about this just don't do it yeah, you, you know, if you've been exposed to it, you know what we're talking about. So let's let's move on. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that, that's what he's he's sort of at. Uh, speaking of moving on, what what do you say we take a a, a quick break for for a beer? Uh, yeah. So our, today we've got uh, Founders Breakfast Stout. It's a double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout, and it is uh, it's a it coffee pours, lover's beer. But as you were pouring like, into your glass, Mike, you yeah. said it looks like motor oil. It, it is so dark. Thick. It is thick. It is dark. Uh, you know, this is uh, last episode. I thought we were going to finish off the winter beers, but holy cow, this is certainly a winter beer. Uh, this is, you know, these thick, dark, you know, high calorie, you know, put on a couple of pounds to keep you warm type beers. Yeah, this is, this is, I, w- I would put this in that category. Now, I'm sure I would bet that Founders, as a matter of fact, I'm almost certain that Founders sells this year round. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is this is certainly for me, you know, a, uh, I would probably I probably move away from these very thick, heavy beers uh, as we move into summer and move more toward Oberon's and that sort of thing. Yeah, something that's a little lighter. But this is still I'm not uh, it, it's it's cold enough outside. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, it's it's cold. Well, enough you know, as we talk about the history of beers. Uh, we had Bell's beer in episode 44, uh, where we had the the official, their hazy IPA, and they started in the 70s um, in Kalamazoo. Founders started in Grand Rapids in 1997. Uh, they opened the doors to their 9,800 square foot brewery in downtown Grand Rapids, and they brewed their first batches of beer. Um, and at that time, there were only 1,400 breweries in the country. I think there's probably that many in Detroit right now. <laughs> there's 1,400, did you say? There were only 1,396 breweries in the country when Founders started in okay. 1997. There are, I think, last time I looked, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 breweries in Michigan right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, it's... Uh, uh, it's really taken off. And if you go nationally, holy cow, you know, I mean, California has a boatload. To, you know, there are, like you said, thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even a hundred thousand um, uh, uh, breweries in the in the country now. But this Founders is actually a very good 
brewery. It's one of the best in Michigan. Um, it, when it's constantly makes the, the list of the, the top Michigan breweries and, and it's easy to see why. Yeah. I think they really took stuff. off with their all sessions IPA, uh, which we've, uh, have we featured that one yet or not? We I did. don't know. We did. Yeah. We did. That all sessions IPA really is what took them national. The breakfast stout, um, is, uh, oats and chocolate and coffee on the, on the cover of the bottle is, a a, a kid with, uh, a handkerchief tied around his neck, eaten out of a, a bowl of oatmeal. And, and the thickness of the beer is almost like that. Uh, they get their coffee from their hometown neighbors, Ferris Coffee and Nut, uh, working together with them to roast this coffee that they use in breakfast stout. Um, and so it's not just a, a Folgers coffee mixed in with some beer sort of thing. You know, that might be the way that, uh, I don't know, maybe Budweiser would produce their coffee flavored stout is just grab some Folgers. Uh, but it's founders probably, will talk to their local uh, hometown neighbors. Yeah, I, it's probably if I had to brew some coffee beer, I'd, I'd grab Folgers. Yeah, <laughs> but that, <laughs> that's because I'm, I'm no founders. Yeah. So and I'm thinking about starting to brew beer again. I brewed beer when I was, you know, years ago. And uh, I'm thinking about getting back into it just as a hobby. So but I'll I'm going to stay away from the breakfast stout. The, you know, coffee beers are are really something. Um, so. The again, Founders Breakfast Stout, an excellent beer. Let's move on. We'll so now we go to the side of the commandments where Luther shows uh, first the the negative, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and then he'll show the positive side for what reason God has given His name to us, and and for this reason God has given us His name to employ it for truth and for all good as when one swears truly where there is need and it is demanded. And so if you wonder, can I in court put my hand on the Bible and swear to God to tell the truth? Or am I violating the second commandment when I put my hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth? Can I make an oath? Can I swear to God? You certainly can, and you should, when you use it for truth and for good. It is a breaking of the second commandment when we use God's name as an oath to veil our lies. That's breaking the second commandment. It is upholding and supporting the second commandment when we use God's name along with our truth. So so then Luther goes on about, and gives a couple more examples of ways, positive uses of the second commandment. Uh, he, he says, you know, when, when we call on God in times of trouble, that is an example of, 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 of a positive use of God's name. And what's interesting there is that that really comes back to the first commandment, because, you know, that, that shows it's, it's a physical manifestation that when we are in a time of trouble, that we are calling upon God. We are relying on him. We aren't relying on our money. We're not relying on our good works. We're not relying on on some, you know, some spiritual whatever. You know, we are we are relying on God and, and that it is a positive use. God calls on us to call on him when when we find ourselves in times of trouble. He even quotes Psalm 50 that says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. It is bringing service to the truth. And it is using it in a blessed way when we show that God's name is indeed holy 
and sacred in our lives. There is, I think, a danger that we would fence such a big uh, a big fence around God's name that we would be so cautious of using it and so careful about uttering it upon our lips that we make it too distant, too far away from our daily lives. Um, Luther encourages us to use God's name regularly, consistently, purposefully uh, in, in a time of prayer. The last one, the last category that he has here is to call on God when we are thankful. And, and that is, again, the same thing. It's, it's a physical manifestation to the recognition that all good things uh, come from God. That, that, again, they're not coming from some other spiritual entity. They're not coming from our good works. That our, our good works are just a, uh, 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 we just use the good things that God gave us. Our, our, the skills that God gave us, we're using uh, to do his work. And we get, when we get good things, it's because of him ultimately that we've, we've, uh, we've gotten these, these good things. And so Luther says that saying thank you to God is another, is another positive way to use. We honor God's name when we, we are regularly using it and practicing it. Uh, He describes near the end of this explanation of the second commandment, that he said we should train our youth in a childlike way and play playfully in the fear and honor of God so that the first and second commandments might be well observed and in constant practice. I like this idea of equipping our children to constantly practice the use of God's name. We, um, we're so careful and cautious about misusing God's name or taking God's name in vain, um, but it is a wonderful, joyous thing to hear God's name on the lips of children when they are thanking him and praising him. So Luther's, um, he finishes off or near the end there, he gets into this this, uh, discussion where he sort of untangles what might seem to be a contradiction in the Bible. Uh, For example, you know, when Christ says to avoid oaths uh, and to let our yes be yes and our no be no, um, and then Luther points out that uh, you know Paul and Christ and and other saints uh, are using oaths all the time. You know they they're always uh, swearing to God in one way or another. Um, it's it's just not and and so so Luther says in paragraph sixty six he says the explanation is briefly this: we are not to swear in support of evil that is falsehoods and where there is no need or use. But for the support of good and the advantage of our neighbor, we should swear. So that's and to swear in the advantage of our neighbor and the support of good is to call upon God for the benefit of my neighbor. To say, I want God's name to be present in this truth. I want God's name to be present in the life of my neighbor. To swear to God in the benefit of somebody else is to, to call on God's presence. When we use the name of God, we are using the confidence that God will be present. And I want God to be present in my truth. I want God to be present in my actions towards my neighbor. Um, I certainly should not be using God's name to veil or cover or to cloak my deceptions. But it makes incredible sense to me that when I want God to be present, I should call upon him. 
So Luther, and this is, you know, he finishes up uh, that, that little section in, in paragraph 66. He says, it is a truly a good work, just basically saying what you just said, um, truly a good work by which God is praised. Truth and right are established. Falsehood is refuted. Peace is made among men. Obedience is rendered and quarrels are set, settled. For in this way, God himself interposes and separates between right and wrong good and evil. And so he's saying, Luther is saying that, you know, by the proper use of God's name, you know, that we can establish, you know, that we, when we speak in God's name, when we use God's name, that, that this is, we hold this to be truly true, that this is, that we are speaking the truth and with all the, all the implications uh, for that. And that it's, it's through this, this definitive point of truth, this this proclamation of truth that God is is praised, that his his that good work is done in his name. That deline that delineation between right and wrong, uh, that separating between good and evil can only come about through God. God is the one that defines what is right and wrong. God is the one who defines what is good and evil. And so if I want to be at work in this world for the purposes of good, then God should be present. If I want God to be at work in this world, I should be able to call upon his name with the confidence that is being rightly used. God has given us his name, not just to be cautious about abusing, but also to be purposefully using. So, and so he says, okay, go ahead. Uh, so in paragraph 71, Luther uh, addresses using God's name against the devil. Uh, and he, he seems to be separating that out as uh, something different than calling upon God when we're in trouble. And and at least my read of that is it's talking about temptation. You know, that that uh, it, it seems like he's re- referencing, as I read through that, he's talking about, you know, there's, there's trouble, which is something coming at us from outside of ourselves, something that's coming at us, you know, uh, you know we've lost... You know, house burned down. Uh, all sorts of th- bad things can happen outside of ourselves. But then there's that that evil that builds up in our spirit, in our heart, and uh, and temptation. You know, the, the the temptation and to call on God when when we when we find ourselves. And I think I think, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Evan. It, it, is that that's what he's talking about here? Is that the the uh, uh, when we call upon God to defend us against the devil, that he's you know this is a lot of the it's a little bit different that we're talking about, you know, defending us against temptation. I think Luther here in paragraph seventy one and seventy two is recognizing that God's name is to be used not only in the defense of truth and in the practice of right in this world, but also in a defensive way against the calamity and working of evil that the devil tries to bring. And when he says that, uh, that the devil is very low to hear God's name and cannot remain long where it is uttered and called upon from the heart. Indeed, a many terrible and shocking calamities would befall us if by calling upon his name and God did not preserve us. I myself tried. I've learned by experience that often sudden great calamity is immediately averted and removed during such invocation. He describes invoking God's name as a way to separate uh, from the devil, to create distance between us 
and the temptations that the devil is trying to bring upon us, because the devil does not want to remain where God is present. The devil just can't. Evil cannot exist where the light of Christ shines. The light of Christ scatters the darkness. And so Luther is encouraging us to call upon God's name in such a way that we um, we put a rampart, uh, a wall up against temptation. And this will be why he will have confidence in being able to uh, call upon the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because he believes that we should always have this holy name in our mouth so that uh, we would not be able to endure ourselves as the devil wishes to work against us. So the, um, the, the, you know, he also talks about using uh, God's name in prayer and, uh, and how that is, that is a good thing. And, and that's in, I think, paragraph 73, I think. Um, and, and that's, again, you know, this, this, uh, commending ourselves with God to God with soul and body, wife, children, servants, and all that we have against every need that may occur. Um, uh, whence also the blessing and thanksgiving at meals and other prayers morning and evening have originated and remain in you. So it seems like that's that, that, uh, paragraph 73 or that sentence, uh, 73 is is talking about about the importance of of prayer you know just very briefly but it's getting into that area yeah that confidence that god's name should be used in our blessing and thanksgiving at meals and other prayers morning and evening and then he even describes how we should start to get in the regular practice of saying help dear lord jesus help me god lord god protect us rather than becoming accustomed to fast and to pray to St. Nicholas and to other saints, it would be more pleasing and acceptable to God uh, than all of monasticism and Carthusian sanctity if we would just start to call upon God's name. And so Luther here is encouraging the right practice of using God's name uh, for the purposes of uh, defending us against the devil, separating us from the evil forces at this world, and making us at home making us in the presence of God. One of the things that this is really getting at when Luther starts talking about uh, is, is that confidence. It's good to have that confidence that God is listening. There's this, I think that you know, one of the things Luther talks about in other places is this temptation to think, ah, you know, God has got a lot of things on his mind. He can't bother with me. You know, he's not going to be bothering with with my little problems or my little Thanksgiving for this meal. Uh, maybe that's a Catholic thing. I know that was something that I grew up sort of thinking. It was that, you know, God's got all these things going on in the world. How's he going to be worried about me? How's he going to be listening to me? And that faith that that God is actually listening when when we call upon him, he is there and 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 that that's that is that is a good and godly use of his name to have that confidence that that God is there um, and, and and listening when we call upon him. That's about all we're going to cover today. We're at that point, so let's uh, let's close this off. Thanks everybody for for listening. Give us a drop us a line on either Facebook or or through an email, <laughs> Grace on Tap at Gmail dot com. Uh, and my cat is jumping on my. <laughs> I hope it didn't tip over your beer onto your keyboard. It, it, it did tip over my beer. Thankfully, the beer bottle is empty. So, 
<laughs> Why don't you take it? That means it was a good episode on Grace on Tap. And the bottle is empty. Episode is over. We've come to a great stopping point. We'll see everybody. Prost. Prost. <laughs>